0: Welcome back, America, to The Sarah Carter Show. I'm, you know, I'm grateful to be here with you uh, from my little dungeon here at my home. (laughs) Social distancing like all of you are right now wondering when is this going to end? Will it ever end? Will we ever go back to normal? All the same questions you have, I have. That's why today we have, uh, I'm really, really grateful that we have both uh, the chairman of the Freedom Caucus, Andy Biggs, Congressman from Arizona, as well as Senator Marsha Blackburn, who will be talking to you today about the latest developments uh, from Capitol Hill on the coronavirus and when we will all be hopefully returning back to a normal life. Uh, This is something that I know for all of us sitting at home, we feel like, at least for me, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I know you're sitting out there at home, probably working out or in your kitchen or reading a book or thinking about what your future is going to look like. And I know there's 20 million Americans right now who have applied for unemployment. 20 million Americans. And right now, the latest report out of the Commerce Department shows that basically home building is down 22.3% in March from the last month, from February. Those are not good signs. And it's, it's very concerning. I'm with you on that. I'm just as worried. Uh, spring break right now, so I'm not actually doing a lot of Homeschooling right now. We're doing a lot of other things, uh, and starting on Monday, back again to homeschooling full time, uh, along with trying to balance that out with work. So we're all in the same boat. But before we get to coronavirus, uh, the World Health Organization, China, uh, issues within the administration, and dealing with these uh, enormous crises that are that we're all facing. I want to get to a story that we absolutely have to discuss. It's a story that I broke on Sarah dot com. So you could go there and read the story yourself. And I'm taking you back. Yes. To one of the biggest stories that we have dealt with over the last three and a half, four years. And that is uh, President Trump and the investigation by the FBI into what they said was a conspiracy with Russia. Remember that? Remember that big story, Christopher Steele, the former British spy that put together this totally debunked, salacious dossier that was, by the way, based on Russian disinformation. But let me explain something to you clearly. It wasn't that the Russians fooled James Comey or John Brennan or James Clapper or any of the people on the crossfire hurricane team that were then under the Obama administration targeting President Trump, they knew it. They knew it from the beginning. They knew that the Russians were giving a British spy, a foreign spy, disinformation on the president of the United States, and before that, on then-candidate Trump. And I want you to think about that. How was the system weaponized and everything they tried to say about Trump is actually what they did is actually what they did. They took information from the Russians, knowing it was false about him. Uh, you know, the salacious information. Remember that about the pee tape, about how he hired prostitutes to urinate on a bed that former President Obama and Michelle Obama had slept in at some hotel in Moscow. All lies, lies about Carter Page, who was a short term volunteer foreign policy advisor on his campaign at the time lies about George Papadopoulos, and they all knew about it. And the big breaking story was that finally Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, along with Senator Chuck Grassley, these two phenomenal senators, GOP senators, that were pushing for the declassification of the footnotes in Michael Horowitz's December report, remember, on the FBI and its malfeasance, they push for the declassification of these footnotes because they want the American people to know what happened. What happened? Basically, people that we entrust, agencies that we entrust to protect us from foreign threats, weaponize the system to use it against a duly elected president of these United States. I want you to think about that because that is really scary. That is something that should never happen ever happen in the united states of america and not only did they do that but john brennan who basically lied to congress he basically said it was not in the intelligence community assessment this dossier but it was it was in the intelligence community assessment they basically assessed that russia wanted president trump to win remember that Remember all those statements? Well, guess what? In these classified footnotes, the FBI actually knew, knew that some of these Russian sources were placing this false information into the dossier against President Trump because guess what? They wanted Hillary Clinton to win. They wanted her to win. Some of these Russian sources wanted her to win. And by the way, my sources early on, and remember, folks, I was saying this every single day on Sean Hannity's show, on Fox News, on his radio show, on my website, I kept saying, look, they falsified FISA's. I was right, right? I have good sources, sources that actually care about this country, that they were using Russian disinformation. I was right. These are the facts, and they have been coming out right now so that you can see them for yourself. But I think the biggest question, it's the question that you all have. It's the same question that I have. When is someone going to be indicted? When is John Durham or Attorney General William Barr going to hold them accountable, right? Them being the people that were doing this to our country, the people that divided our nation in such a way In such a way that Republicans and Democrats, even family members, weren't talking to each other anymore. They basically called the president of the United States a Manchurian candidate. And I was up against a really tough crowd. And so were other journalists that were on board and writing the truth and investigating. We didn't take John Brennan's word for it. I interviewed John Brennan in 2016 for one hour on Sinclair Network. An on-camera interview in December of 2016, by the way, I interviewed him. We weren't going to take John Brennan's word for it, nor James Comey, nor James Clapper, nor any of the leaks that came from the anti-Trumpers because they had to prove it with facts. If President Trump was a Manchurian candidate, show me the evidence. Show me the evidence. They couldn't show any evidence. But guess what? There was a mountain, a mountain of evidence showing just the opposite, showing just the opposite. But unfortunately, mainstream media outlets, yes, like the New York Times, like the Washington Post and others were so busy buying the bull crap that was coming out of these senior officials mouths, because guess what? They had spent years leaking information to these journalists. These journalists were like, oh, there's no way Brennan's ever going to lie to me. He's the former head of the CIA. There's no way Hillary Clinton's sources are going to lie to me or Hillary Clinton herself. Because we love her. We want her to be president. There's no way James Clapper, James Comey, Andrew McCabe is going to lie to me. They all lied. They lied. They lied. They lied to the American people. They abused their power. They abused it in such a way that they damaged the integrity of these agencies and departments. And unless William Barr, unless William Barr and prosecutor John Durham do something to stop this and to hold people accountable, those agencies and those departments will forever be damaged forever be damaged i want to thank actually acting dni director of national intelligence richard grinnell for actually doing his job and declassifying all of these footnotes and i'm gonna in fact i have a little bit of time here so i am going to read you uh let's read footnote if i can find it here in all of my papers 350 oh here it is Here it is, folks. I want you to hear this with that beautiful music in the background. (laughs) In addition to the information in Steele's Delta file documenting Steele's frequent contacts with representatives for multiple Russian oligarchs, we identified reporting the crossfire hurricane... Team received from Redacted, they're not telling us who that name is, indicating that the potential for Russian disinfo- disinformation, basically Russian lies, let's spell it out plain and clear for the American people, Russian lies, influencing Steele's election reporting. A January 12, 2017 report relayed information from outlining the inaccuracy in a limited subset of Steele's reporting. I want you guys to think about this. In January 2017, James Clapper urged James Comey and John Brennan was there with him to basically uh, go in to Trump Tower and talk to then president elect Trump about the dossier, which, by the way, according to these notes, they already knew was full of bullcrap. Right. So they go in and they read this to Trump. And according to my sources, Trump was just like, well, that's just flat out lies. That's a joke. And they were like, oh, no, no, this is floating around Washington. We just want you to be aware of this. And what happens right after they read these, uh, you know, this dossier, read him into this dossier by this British spy. uh, Somebody leaks to CNN that they read in. They basically advise the president on this dossier. Therefore, making the dossier, which, by the way, no news agency would publish before that, a legitimate news hook. And then CNN reports on it. And remember, the whole dossier was released by BuzzFeed. People, what we have been through over the last four years, I want to say three and a half years, has been incredible. And the lies that the American people have been told about this president are even more incredible. Don't believe it. I hope there are people out there listening to this podcast that you're listening to this that you've never heard this before, that you always thought just the opposite. That you take a moment to go to sarahcarter.com and read the whole story about this dossier and follow all the links and listen to the facts and the evidence. And I pray and hope that the Department of Justice does the right thing and that John Durham lays it all out for the American people and indicts those criminals, those criminals that tried to basically break our great election system, that basically tried to soft coup a president of the United States of America that was duly elected by the American people for themselves. Don't think they were doing this because they had this ideological belief that Trump wasn't good enough. They did this for themselves. They just couldn't believe that all of them were going to lose their jobs. They couldn't believe that they were no longer going to be in control. They've been in control for so long, this deep state bureaucracy. And they were just frustrated, angry, and they hated Trump anyways. He wasn't going to play ball with them. They knew he wasn't going to play ball. And even Republicans, those never-Trumpers, and remember, even the Bushes. Even the Bushes. I mean, come on. Former President George Bush and his family and all the things they said about Trump. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. And thank God for the American people and thank God for our Constitution and our founding fathers that developed a system that allowed the American people to have a voice and the American people voted for President Donald Trump. End of story. He is president. And come November, there will be another election. And we'll see what happens then. But right now, right now, we have to be aware of the facts. We have to know the truth. And we must, as Americans, I mean, people have to be held accountable. That's it. People have to be held accountable so we could go back as Americans to being the greatest nation on earth, standing on principle and having faith in our systems of justice. Now I'm going to segue whoosh, right over into the biggest story right now of the day. And that is coronavirus, right? That's what we're dealing with. I mean, this is it. I mean, we are all living under some kind of uh, totalitarian lockdown uh, and in order to Ah, uh, basically, mitigate and fight this virus that is a deadly virus. And we are hoping, we are hoping that what we have done makes a difference and that we are saving lives. But we really have to think about what's happening here. i I am I, I know that when you hear Congressman Andy Biggs, and when you hear Senator Marsha Blackburn speak, They are going to bring it back to America. We're going to bring it back. We're going to bring it back to the power of the American people. And what we can do to move forward as the president deliberates with the governors and tries to figure out a way to get our economy back. 20 million unemployed right now and 22.3 percent drop in home building. That's just crazy. When we came just weeks ago, five, six weeks ago, from one of the greatest economies we had ever seen. We had ever seen since maybe the 1920s. So what happened here? How did this all change? And that's what I want them to talk to you about. I do want to play a really quick clip because I I don't want to leave this out. And before we go, before we go to the chairman of the Freedom Caucus, Andy Biggs, Adam, can we please play? This is a flashback. A flashback of the World Health Organization, Dr. Tedros, on January 30th about China's transparency. And I want to bring this up quickly because this is the reason why President Trump wants to pull the funding and why he should pull the funding from the WHO. As you know, I was in China just a few days ago where I met with President
1: Xi Jinping. I left in absolutely no
0: doubt about China's commitment to transparency, and to protecting the world's people, and which has been met by an unprecedented response. As I have said repeatedly since my return from Beijing, the Chinese government is to be congratulated for the extraordinary measures it has taken to contain the outbreak. Despite the severe social and economic impact those measures are having on the Chinese people in the pocket of China folks don't let this fool you they are in the pocket of China and China has worked the Chinese Communist government that's what I'm referring to not the Chinese people but the Chinese Communist government under I would I don't even like to say President Xi has done this to the world and they should be held responsible. And I'm not gonna delay any further because we wanna hear what uh, chairman of the Freedom Caucus, Andy Biggs of the great state of Arizona has to say about this and believe me, he's gonna talk China and he's gonna talk more importantly about your jobs. Freedom Caucus chairman, Andy Biggs, thank you so much for being on the Sarah Carter show today. There's so much uh, I know that you want to share with everyone out there, all the listeners, everyone who's in lockdown, there's so many Americans. You all know how you feel. It's the same way I feel. We feel like you know we're we're trapped in our homes. Many of us have lost our jobs. Uh, a lot of people are really concerned about the future. And you're taking a different take on this, uh, Congressman. So thank you so much for being here today.
2: I'm I'm glad to be with you, Sarah. Always good to be with you.
0: Well, thank you. Kit, talk a little bit about uh, your op ed. You wrote a recent op ed about getting Americans back to work. Now, there's a lot of concern. There's a lot of people out there that say, "No, no, no, we're not ready yet. We got to keep the lockdown going. We've heard uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo out of New York. We hear people, you know, a lot of Democrats and a lot of Democratic states saying, "Well, we can't do this yet." but there are there is an enormous frustration across America. We've seen it in protests in Michigan, here in Virginia now across the country, people that are losing their jobs, uh, they feel like they're gonna end up losing their homes, uh, their lives basically on the line right now. So how do you think we can get America back to work and still mitigate the spread of the virus?
2: Well, you have to realize, Sarah, I mean, just numbers out um, this week uh, uh, mean that we're well over 22 million people in the last month have lost their jobs. So we've gotta get back to work. So look, if you can go to a grocery store, um, and you can socially distance. In Arizona, you can go to Home Depots, uh, and they're packed, by the way. They're, they're, they're busy, um, but everybody's social distancing. If we're free Americans, and we as free Americans should should understand freedom comes with risk, but that doesn't mean that you spread a, a, an epidemic or a or, or public health is concern. What you do is we, we follow some guidelines. We open up all the retail stores, they should all be open. Look, we've got rural hospitals getting ready to close in Arizona because they don't get to do elective surgeries. And that's where they make their money. That's where they make enough to take care of the other issues. So they're firing employees. They're uh, looking at shutting down. This has the potential for great, a greater public health crisis down the pike if we let these hospitals close? And so the answer is never, oh, well, let's let them do the elective surgeries, and let them make the decisions in the local jurisdiction. The answer is always, oh, let's go and let's, let's print more money uh, for the federal government. And that's, that's the wrong answer. The right answer is to open up the free economy of the United States of America and let Americans govern themselves the way they were intended to govern themselves.
0: Well, I got to ask you, because you brought it up, civil liberties, What is happening here? Because there is, in a sense, a taking over of our civil liberties. The Constitution doesn't seem to be abided by here. In a lot of areas, we have seen people deem things essential and non-essential. For example, you know, ABC liquor stores in Virginia uh, are still essential, but going to church is non-essential, and it's a gathering, and people try to, you know, people were ticketed, actually ticketed, for attending a drive through church That they tried to do on a Sunday uh, Easter Sunday And there is a concern here uh, To uh, Congressman That these immunity cards This idea of having an immunity card Being tossed around Is uh, certainly against Civil liberties You know Where you don't have to have a card to vote But you have to have a card to prove That you're immune to this virus What How do we handle this?
2: Well this is This is an amazing accretion of power to the center, and you've got petty tyrants all over this country, whether they're mayors or governors that want to abuse uh, civil rights, the fundamental constitutional rights. You had a tactical SWAT team show up at a church in California over the weekend where where they were wearing masks, where they were uh, uh, social distancing. Um, uh, on an Easter Sunday, but they showed up and arrested the pastor and issued a finder. This, this is an abuse of power, and the, and quite frankly, it is the American people that have to stand up. And so I'm, I'm gratified to see uh, more and more people willing to go out, stand up, and be civilly disobedient. I find it interesting that the people who wore Question Authority t-shirts uh, when I was a kid have become the governors of the blue states are abusing people's rights. And if you question their authority, they want to they want to drag you into jail. And that is that is antithetical to who we are, the very essence of America. And that's what we got to fight for. And that's what um, I'm I'm urging Americans to stand up everywhere.
0: Well, let me let me ask you this. And this is something that I, you know, cannot seem to wrap my head around the final authority lies really with the Department of Justice in some of these situations because it's a violation of people's civil liberties. And I know that it resides, we're a federalist society, there's, you know, different states can take different actions, but the Constitution itself protects all of us. So how is this happening? What I think Americans can't wrap their head around is like, we don't know how to react. For example, I went to the grocery store Yesterday, now all of the uh, at Safeway here close to my house, uh, all the doors are locked except for one that you can go in and one that you can go out. They have a line uh, with a person standing there gauging how many people are in the store, how many people have then been let out of the store before they can let you in. Uh, everybody's in these masks. So everybody's... Remember before, like if you would have walked in with a face mask into a store, people would have thought you were robbing it. Now everybody's wearing scarves and face masks. You can't see anyone's face. You can barely talk to anyone. People are afraid to talk to each other. How did this happen in just a matter of weeks that our nation has completely done a reversal, a flip-flop? I... I think that that's what people are shocked about. They don't know how to react. Everybody wants to do their best, but nobody knows how to react to this.
2: Yeah, Sarah, I will tell you, I have been baffled myself because you think five, six weeks ago, our economy was in my lifetime the best it had ever been. And it was perhaps the best in 100 years in the United States of America, maybe since the roaring 20s, perhaps. And and then you start looking at it and you say, what we did is within three days— we killed the economy. We basically said we're going to kill the economy because uh, we, there's a there's a virus out there that we don't know anything about, and and the civil liberties that have been lost. Uh, I, I'm wondering how do we get those back? I know this sounds almost uh, like a, a a real pessimist, but but when I see power. Uh, Arrogated to the center anytime whether it's to the center of a state or the or the federal government which is no longer federal it's a national government now when it goes to the national government I, I wonder how do we get that back when you say the Department of Justice is is there that's correct the Attorney General Barr has got to basically go after these governors he's got to go after these mayors and Because, quite frankly, a lot of them, don't, they don't even have legislative authority to even do the type of activity that they're doing. I don't even know where they're getting the authority in some places, certainly not in Arizona. There's no legislative authority saying, yeah, the people of that said we're going to uh, uh, basically delegate this authority to you. Uh, and what's happened is they're seizing power. Instead of respecting authority, there's a huge difference between power and authority. The second thing is that all of this authority comes from the people of the United States. And if we allow this as a people to go forth, uh, then, then shame on us. It, it, we will get the government we deserve. The government we deserve will be what we uh, basically So what's, what's happening is the DOJ investigating all over the place, these states that are doing this, these cities that are doing this. People at the same time have to be standing up saying enough's enough. And we're seeing that. You're seeing that pressure come from uh, grassroots America today. And uh, that's terrifying. That's uh, but you're right. How in the heck, in four or five weeks, did we go from a free to a more authoritarian rule? And, and quite frankly, the feds haven't given us mandates. It is the governors that have given mandates. That's where the mandates have arisen governments and locals.
0: So then what does the federal government, let's talk about President Trump right now. He is surrounded by Dr. Anthony Fauci, Dr. Deborah Birx, uh, all of these uh, scientists uh, and do- epidemiologists who have basically, I, I mean, really, in the end, put the fear of God or whatever into everybody. I mean, we've seen this across the board uh, making a lot of recommendations uh, because of the fear of this uh, novel coronavirus spreading, which we really don't have the statistics, the, the real statistics. I mean, this isn't just uh, this isn't non-science. I know that you you say you've been accused of being a non-scientist. You're not taking scientific value, but doctors at Stanford, people across the globe have been debating these statistics because we really don't have any valid statistics on this, but they're utilizing this. So where does the president go from here? As the, uh, you know, the executive, what, what can the president do to urge the governors uh, to do the right thing? And I think you brought up a really good point here, um, Congressman, is the fact that once we've given up so many of these rights, It's not a privilege. You know, we have rights. It's not like just driving a car. We can go out and if I own a business, I mean, I would think that my business was essential because it's essential to my life. But once we've given up all of these rights, how do we even get those back if we're being pressured under fear that, you know, a lot of people that want to reopen their businesses and want to do things are being pressured under fears by by folks that are saying, oh, well, you're going to get people killed
2: yeah, I mean, this is the this is basically, if you've I know you have, but, but if anybody hasn't, I would just say if you study authoritarian uh, nations and how they get to the point, uh, ultimately, usually it takes them some time to get there. I mean, look at us, we haven't even had a revolution. We've just basically surrendered. Um, you you begin turning people on themselves, And that's what's happened in this country. We have turned people. Uh, against each other. Uh, you know, I had a constituent call yesterday. Her daughter uh, you know uh, has a young a child there at there at a park. Nobody else in the park. Some lady, some lady's driving past the park. First of all, she's driving what's she what she doing out if she's supposed to be uh, sheltering in place. Right. And she's, she feels obligated and permitted to stop her car and yell at this mom and her child in the park with nobody else around saying, you're killing people. You're you you're, you're going to kill people because you're out here. That is the kind of hysteria uh, that is being capitalized by people who want to abuse power. And one thing we know is, is when people get some power, think they've have, got some power, is they often abuse it. And that's what we're seeing here. And we have just got. And Sarah, you, you've made the great point here: is that the scientific data is is not conclusive on this by any stretch. The the policies are not conclusive. I mean, you look at Sweden and Japan, um, mm-hmm. who stayed open. They what they did is the way I think it probably should be done, and that is you you isolate your vulnerable population with permission. You test the people who are who are dealing with them so they know who's who's health healthy and not and and then you let everybody else work and open up and you know what you save your economy and you also reduce the community spread this is this is the way you should do it i mean but this this approach where we're going to take away people's rights and we're going to tell them that if you leave your home that uh, you're killing people, and we're going to put this kind of social peer pressure, and you've got governors and mayors encouraging people to snitch on people, to tell them. people. Cuba.
0: That's this, Cuba. That's, that's right. That's Russia. That was the former Soviet Union. That happens yeah. in the tribal lands in Pakistan, you know, where people are turning people in, and, and a lot of times people will turn in their neighbors just because they don't like them. Just because they don't like them, like, oh, they were outside, I hate that neighbor anyways, you know, I'm going to turn them in. There was a police officer, well, a former cop in Colorado, who was actually taken, handcuffed, in front of his six-year-old daughter. Yes. Do you yep. remember this? I Because do. he was out in a park playing ball with her. This is not America, people. I mean, I understand we do not, we don't want to get sick, but people get sick all the time people die all the time across the globe and we want to mitigate the spread of this virus but are we willing to give up what makes our nation so great and so uh envied by people all over the world i i really i cannot fathom and i think the the big question i have for you congressman because you are the chairman of what i consider to be i mean the greatest the greatest committee of all on the hill it's the it's the freedom caucus it's freedom it's based on everything we are and it's keeping those checks and balances what do the american people do those those of us that want to stand up and say okay well you know what we get this but enough is enough or we need to get back to work let's find a better way to do this and let's not turn in our neighbors let's not allow these local governments uh, to tell us what we need uh, to do, as far as like, th- there should never be, there should never be a moment. This is for everyone out there, for all of you out there, where you actually turn in your neighbor for things that are normal. I mean, if they're committing a crime, yeah, but 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 for things that are normal, we're walking down the sidewalk or playing ball, you know, with uh with with their child in a park. What do yeah, we?
2: If- I- well, so the first thing you do is, is and I, members of my Freedom Caucus are doing this, is we're advocating to both the, the, the White House administration as well as to governors, open up, open up, it's time to open up. Um, and I know the president's having a, a conference call with, with all the governors today, and he's going to uh, urge them to, to open up. I, you know, what, what drives me batty, to be honest with you, is we've got people saying, yeah, we need to slowly open up. And, and what does that mean? We're going to wait till November uh, before we get open up and we're going to wait till next. Uh, some people are saying wait till 2022 to fully open up. This is the kind of uh, uh, irrational fear that people have out there. And and the, it, it, I, I, I I'm sympathetic to it because the, the media has stirred it up uh, relentlessly. You have the 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 so-called researcher in the UK who said two million uh, people are going to die uh, in the UK. And then he had to walk that back. He couldn't even find his data, by the way, after that. Right. So 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 we have to keep pushing with the facts. We have to put things in context. I mean, Sarah, 30 million plus, I think the, the last number I saw by CDC is that we had 36, 37 million people uh, contracted flu this year. We hospitalized um, uh, something like 500,000 people and we had uh, tens of thousands of people succumb uh, to, to to the flu. Now, if, if two million worldwide who have the coronavirus, that's confirmed, uh, is enough to basically shut down the economy of the world, then are we going to, is this the new norm? This is what I need to, to know. Is this the new norm where every time we get into the flu season, where we have 30 people, 30 million people get it, and that's with a vaccine that's out there widely distributed and used, Uh, Are we going to shut down the economy and our civil rights every year uh, because 30 million people get the flu in an average year? I mean, that's a great
0: question. No, that's a great question. And it's one that I've asked myself. And another question is they've talked about a second wave coming in the fall of coronavirus, of this novel virus. You know, well, what does that mean? Does that mean we reopen in the summer, maybe? And then we shut down again? I don't think our economy or our nation can actually survive that. And the American people—and that's a really important point—can we make it as a nation? Can the world economy make it, it with these continuous shutdowns? And I'm going to leave the last word for you. I, I you know, I don't—I don't, I don't want to sound like we're not going to have a chance. I mean, I, I really believe there's hope here, and maybe the president will. Uh, be able to talk some sense into these governors. Uh, but if you were on the call with them today, how would you address them? And then I'll leave the final word to you. Yeah.
2: Well, I would address them this way. I'd say, look, you know, you have, your populations are uh, itching to get out to work. Many of you have issued stay in uh, shelter in place orders and, and are trying to enforce that as if it's law. Uh, you, you don't have the authority for that. That's the first thing i say. That we should tick them off that I'd say that. But then the second thing I would say is uh, your economy, if you don't allow it to proceed forward in as normal a fashion as possible, uh, the fact that people are under the stress of lost weight, uh, lost jobs, lost People who lose their their businesses, they're losing their entire life savings in many instances. You have the increase of, we've seen uh, 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 child abuse go up. We've seen uh, deaths by child abuse. We have domestic violence going up. We have suicide rates going up. We have alcoholism and you have drug abuse that's increasing. These pathologies uh, will not go away. We have got to face this in a more rational tone. And the best way to do it is to let people be Americans. I trust the American people. The, reason, the only reason I'm optimistic is because I do trust the American people. These people are creative. They're ingenious. They, they, they will respect guidelines to, make, to not spread a public health, public health contagion. But you know what? They, uh, they are ready to go. Let them go. Unleash your people. Let them be the best they can be.
0: Wow. Yes. Yay! Thank you. That I know, Adam, did you feel like I was like, Bet you should be on that call today. <laughs> you should be on that call today, Congressman Bates. You should be on that call today with the president. He, I, I hope he hears this. And I, I tell you this, you're right. I have faith in the American people. I have faith in our nation, just as you've said. And your common sense, your common sense, Common sense wins out overall. And thank you so much for being on the show today. I can't, I can't thank you enough.
2: Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for what you do. I really appreciate it.
0: That was a great interview. I love having Congressman Andy Biggs on here. He is the chairman of the Freedom Caucus. Such an important committee. Uh, on the hill because they really focus on you, the American people, and your rights and your civil liberties. So I, I'm bringing him back on as much as I can get him. I will bring him back, but I also have another great guest. She's been on the Sarah Carter Show before. It's Senator Marsha Blackburn from the great state of Tennessee. And the reason I have Senator Blackburn on, and I've brought her on before, is because she works 24-7. She is nonstop. You can follow her on Twitter, go to her website. She's amazing. And she's really actively involved right now in what it's going to take to get Americans back to work. What is it going to take? And also, you know, taking every precaution to ensure that American lives are saved. So let's get right to her. Senator Blackburn, thank you so much for being a special guest here at the Sarah Carter Show. I'm so happy to have you on from the great state of Tennessee. And I'm very excited to have you on uh, to talk a little bit about your public service announcements uh, during this coronavirus and a little bit about your platform and where you stand on China. So first, thank you for being here and tell me a little bit about those PSAs.
3: Oh, I would be more than happy to tell you about the PSAs. We were thinking, what can we do to be helpful to the process so that people get the message? Be sure that you're following the CDC guidelines, that you are practicing the social distancing, that, and remembering to check on people. And so we boiled it down to saying, this is what strength, strength looks like. A strong Tennessee, a strong America, we can do this. We can defeat this virus by doing things that are going to make the difference. You know, Sarah, focusing on a problem and defining that problem and finding solutions to solve that problem many times leads you to the fastest way to overcome a problem. And that is exactly what we thought. We said this is strength, being able to social distance, being submissive to following this information and saying, I'm going to wash my hands, I'm going to wear a mask, I'm going to wear gloves, I'm going to stay at home, I'm going to give up going and doing, and I'm going to do my part. And that will help get us on the road to recovery. So we have some entertainers, we have some physicians, and we're just going to put these out on social media to remind people it is a sign of strength, not weakness, when you do what your country is asking you to do.
0: That is very true. Now, uh, there's a lot of folks out there that are very frustrated because their businesses have shut down. Some people have lost their jobs. We've seen Roughly 20 million Americans apply for unemployment. It's staggering Uh, right now. Twenty two point three percent in home building drop uh, in March compared to the month before. So is there a way to balance out what the country is asking Americans to do with, uh, you know, the president's working right now with governors? He's going to be speaking with them to reopening some of those services back to the American people.
3: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I've talked with my governor today. I was on a a phone call with the president and vice president uh, earlier today. What we know is that there are businesses, construction, manufacturing, government offices, where you can begin to change schedules. You can get people back to work and back to productivity. And that is what we want to see. And... And it and that's does. what the
0: American people want, too.
3: Absolutely. You know, I love the fact that people are out protesting and saying, let us do this. We want to go back to work. And they're going to go back to work exercising the proper precautions because they know that this virus is something that can be deadly. It is highly contagious. It requires that we exercise. um good judgment in this process of getting back to work.
0: I want to hear about your platform on China before I let you go, because I think for the American peoples, particularly China and the World Health Organization, and the reason why we, you know, the president, the administration wants to pull back funding a- until an investigation is complete. And now there's so many more reports coming out with regards to China and the spread of this uh, virus, the outbreak in Wuhan, whether or not uh, it came from a lab. Uh, I think that is even not as important as the fact that the Chinese government really covered up what was happening in the very beginning of this outbreak. Can you talk a little bit about what the United Uh,
3: States can do? Yes, and here is what we do about it. Because now the entire world agrees. It started in Wuhan, China. The only people that disagree with that is the Chinese communist. So Senate Bill, Senate resolution. 553, I have it in the Senate, Jim Banks in the House. This holds, it says, it is a sense of the U.S. Congress that China lied to us. They hid information. They were not transparent. They tried to expel their reporters, or they did. They tried to blame it on the U.S. military. We know they're responsible for this. That sends a message to the Chinese Communist Party. We know what they did. Second thing is that we ask China to waive their debt. They hold $1 trillion in US debt. They like investing in us. They have cost us trillions of dollars, lost lives, lost livelihoods. They should waive their debt. The third thing is how we deal with the here and now and move to the future bring American manufacturing back. We need to have these companies move back. I've got the SAMC bill, which moves it out of China and brings our pharmaceutical manufacturing back. We incentivize it, we incentivize universities to team up with pharmaceutical companies and look at advanced manufacturing. But those are three things that we are working right now to hold China accountable.
0: Well, I think that's absolutely impressive, especially waiving the debt. That's the least that China could do. And As far as manufacturing overseas in China, that's a real national security issue for the United States. And by the way, it has been for decades. We just never had an administration like we have today that's been able to take on the Chinese communist government because that's who it is. It's the Chinese communist government because we know there's Chinese people that have tried to speak out against the CCP and they've disappeared. And there's people out there that would like to stand up to them and they can't because their voices are being squashed by the ccp and this is what's important it's that america stands on principle which is what you have in this senate bill 553 and i think that what do you think about the passage of this bill is it going to happen are you going to see what are the odds of all of this happening uh because we know there's such a divisive divisiveness in politics right now
3: right this the pharmaceutical bill the sam c act is bipartisan senator menendez is my lead there now when it comes to the resolution jim banks had another house member on that with him on the house side and i guess they got a phone call from nancy pelosi because after they introduced it as a bipartisan measure it became a republican bill the guy came off the bill if you can mm. believe that yeah. and we need Right now, our arms are open. We need the Democrats to work with us to hold China accountable for what they have done to this country.
0: Well, I can't thank you enough, Senator Blackburn, for taking time out of your busy, busy day and everything that you've been doing for our country to come on The Sarah Carter Show. Thank you so much. If you want to say anything, what what would you like to tell the American people? Is there hope? Will we get out of this?
3: We are going to get out of this. We are going to make America manufacture again. We're going to bring back great paying jobs. We want you to stay in touch with us. You'll find me, Marsha Blackburn, on Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram, and our website, blackburn.senate.gov.
0: Thank you so much. Everyone follow Senator Blackburn. She always has updates. She works 24-7. The woman never sleeps, and she looks fantastic doing it. So thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Senator Blackburn, and by the way, Congressman Andy Biggs are right. This is all about Americans control, having trust in the American people, having trust in us. We're going to do the right thing. This is America for crying out loud. We don't need to be babysat. We will do the right thing because we care about each other. We're the most giving nation on planet Earth. We give more. We give more to charities overseas and help people than anybody else. What makes anybody think that the American people won't do that here at home, that we won't take the appropriate steps to help mitigate this virus? But we need to get back to work. We need people to get back to work. We need to find a way to bring it all back. And we need to balance this out. And by the way, you know, it's up to the government to give us the right information. Give us the right information. Random testing of this coronavirus will give us more accurate information on this virus. We need to hold China accountable. And we need to have faith in one another. And I know we do. But I don't want to, you know, I don't want to end on a down note. Because there are so many bizarro stories out there and things happening all across the nation. Adam, could you fill me in on some? You had been talking to me earlier about some some stories out there that I wasn't even paying attention to while I was so busy working on Christopher Steele and all the breaking news on, on the dossier. Can maybe fill me in on some stuff that's happening around the nation? and I'll give my two cents.
1: I need to hear what you think about this because there are rat wars taking place in New York City. You know that there are tons of rats. Our listeners know that. And they feed off of the food from the restaurants, but the restaurants aren't open, so now there's a territorial war between rats, and it's starting to take over to the homeless. Have you seen this?
0: Okay, this is so crazy. It's so America. I don't know if you saw this story, but I'm here to tell you about it because I didn't even know about it till Adam brought it up because I was busy on so many other things. But the rats in New York are starving. They're like eating each other and they're attacking homeless people. And this is because there's no restaurants open, so there's no food out there for them. And apparently I've been, you look, I have seen them in New York. I have traveled to New York many, many times, have seen the rats. By the way, I've seen them in LA because I I go there all. Well, I was going there at least once a month because I would do Steve Hilton's show. Great Steve Hilton, and these these ginormous rats. I don't know what I would do. I, the New York Post has this incredible story: uh, starving rats are resorting to war and cannibalism to survive Corona lockdown. To survive the coronavirus lockdown, not Corona beer. I, I know I didn't say the whole word, <laughs> but coronavirus lockdown scary story and and that segues by the way adam and jenny Ter, who is here as well we're all in different states remember that uh to san francisco i mean here we have nancy pelosi you know house speaker nancy pelosi and chuck schumer not giving money basically to small businesses now there's you know there's a cap right now that's it we've used it all up it's all gone so congress is trying to figure out a way to get more money let's get that money but you know Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, politics again, basically putting the kibosh, not wanting to release funding to the bank. So everybody who didn't apply yet, guess what? You're getting a message that says they don't have enough funding until uh, Congress passes this next bill, this extension of funding. Uh, So, But while that's happening, I was looking at stories in San Francisco. It is a utter disaster. The streets are filthy there are homeless everywhere have you seen this adam
1: it's not i mean it's always bad in San. there's a lot of homeless in san francisco to start but this is just this is the beginning where the animals are really starting to come back for their stuff you know you see these monkeys in um where is it taiwan i believe it was monkeys in taiwan all in the streets because they're used to the food that a lot of the people are 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 typically giving them but now there's nobody there to give them food so they're just roaming everywhere
0: Oh, I did see that. That was an incredible story. I don't know if that was Taiwan. I think that might have been India. I'm going to look that up right now. But in India, I I believe it was
1: either way. I just feel like the animals are coming back for their stuff.
0: Yeah, they're they're hungry. Right. Um, Mischievous monkeys take over government buildings in India. Thank you, man. The monkeys, the monkeys, the rats. God only knows what's happening here. I mean, this is what happens. Jenny, when wait. our societies are upended.
1: Jenny, what's gr- what is worse to you? I need to know that the fact that there are rats eating each other right now, or the fact that there were rats so dependent on the restaurants in the first place.
0: Well, I think it's just it sounds insane because when I think about it, and I think about just stories I've seen before coronavirus or stories Sarah's covered. If you take out the word rat. And you put in like Mexican cartels; it's like the same thing because it's you're hearing now that there's turf battles with, oh, with yeah. the rats. It oh, just yeah. sounds crazy. This is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, Jenny, it sounds like sci-fi. By the way, I didn't realize Jenny was was able to communicate with us right now, and I'm so grateful that. And I, I thank you, Jenny, because you're absolutely right on these rat wars it's like we are reading something out of a sci-fi novel and you're right if you put mexican cartels in there it would sound although i don't know if mexican cartels would be eating each other zombie. but who knows zombie wars <laughs> you put zombie, zombie in there. <laughs> wars there's definitely some form of barbarism oh, so God. yes it is it is and and definitely a zombie uh would fit right in there and that really is actually kind of scary because i want you to think about this This is something that we talked about months ago. Remember, guys, when I went to California and we were talking about the homeless population and the tragedy in California with the fact that there are so many people that are mentally ill, so many addict addicts on the streets and disease and the big concern for a lot of doctors and a lot of uh, people that work in the fields of epidemiology and virology. We're seeing we're dealing with the novel coronavirus right now. But was the fact that there were a lot of diseases starting to surface in places like California, even before novel coronavirus uh, showed up from China? So there was concern about cholera. There was concern about plague because of the rats. There was concern about the fact that that diseases we hadn't seen that we had believed to have been mitigated for some time were resurfacing. So these yeah, are really scary things. Really, really scary things that we're going to have to deal with whether or not uh, we lift some of these restrictions on the virus. So this is something that, Nancy Pelosi, you got to focus on your state. You got to focus on what's happening in San Francisco. That is a beautiful, beautiful city that has turned upside down. By the way, she lives there in a mansion with a super high fence Around her house, a, a wall. Now I want—I always say a fence. It's a Where's wall. Where is your summer home? It's a summer home. Remember Bernie? <laughs> <laughs> I love Bernie's summer camp. I wish His we had, had our camp. library
1: of sounds. I don't have those with us. We're doing—we're doing this all from from remote. But I, I know. just I miss you. But guys. everybody
0: remembers summer camp, right? <laughs> yeah, summer camp, sure. which is so funny. I mean, look, there are things to still laugh about. Um, this is a tough time for everyone in the country. And I know that many of you out there are suffering. Many of you out there are concerned that you may not have a job to return to. Uh, many of you out there have lost your businesses. Uh, I wanna hear from you and I wanna tell your stories and I wanna be here for you. Um, Cause I know you're there for me and my family and we're we're doing the same. Um, you know, I'm, I have a small business and it's tough it's tough folks but we're americans we're here together and we're going to find a way to pull through this together and i believe in us and i believe in our country and most importantly i believe in you thank you so much for being a part of the sarah carter show thank you so much for being a part of making this happen for me for jenny and for adam and for keeping us going we thank you from the bottom of our hearts i love you dearly all of you and i will be back soon Thank you, America. We are taking the story back.